Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Mike Barron. Mike is the creator of Nexus with artist Steve Rude and Badger, two of the longest-lasting independent superhero comics. Nexus is about a cosmic Avenger 500 years in the future. Badger about a multiple personality, one of whom is a costume crime fighter. First, slash Devil's Do is publishing all new Badger stories. Baron has won two Eisners and an Inkpot Award and written The Punisher, Flash, Dead Man, and Star Wars, among many other titles. Mike has also published seven novels. Banshees, Domain, Helmethead, Whackjob, Biker, Sons of Privilege, and Scorpio. Banshees is about a satanic rock band that returns from the dead. Helmethead is about Nazi biker zombies. Whackjob is about spontaneous human combustion. Biker is a hard-boiled crime about a reformed motorcycle hoodlum turned private investigator. And Scorpio is about a ghost who only appears under a blazing sun. Uh, in 2017, Liberty Island published all six Bad Road Rising novels, including Biker, which is available now. Mike has also written for the Boston Phoenix, Boston Globe, We, Fusion, Cream, Isthmus, Front Page Mag, and Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. He lives in Colorado with his wife, Anne, and some dogs, and he also has an upcoming book called Disco Mike. How did I do with your bio there? Uh, it's good. I need to update it. There are actually four Bad Road Rising Josh Pratt novels out. There are six. There are actually seven completed. Uh, two more will be out in the early part of next year. And I normally ask the question, where are you in the world? Although I realize that it's in your bio and I read it. But just to talk about kind of where you are in the world. We're in New York City. You're in Colorado. How does living in Colorado affect your writing? Did you choose Colorado for that purpose, or how does that fit into the equation? <laughs> no, I was born in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, and I lived there off and on through most of my life. I moved out here in 03 because of my late wife, who insisted that we move her. She was going to die. So I moved, and she died anyway. Please, no condolences. It was a long time ago, and it's all for the best. Uh, and because of a very difficult period in my life that I went through that was related to her, I've become a much better writer than I had ever hoped to be. And that's one good thing about Colorado. I like Colorado a lot. As far as your writing, you've read a lot of different things. You write uh, books, you write comic books. What do you currently self-identify as? I always say I write comics and novels. So you write both comics and novels, and you've got the upcoming book, called Disco. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Disco? Yeah. Um, Disco is Rocky for dogs. It's about a boy who adopts a mongrel pup and trains it to be world disc dog champion. Uh, the reason I wrote this book is because my wife, Anne, who uh, is great help to me, but I kept saying, will you read my comics? Will you read my novels? She says, I can't read any of that. It's all too horrible and gruesome. Please write something I can read. Uh, and as a result of that, I wrote Disco. But Disco had been in my mind a long time, at least 20 years. I've been thinking about it since long before I met Anne. And, and by the time I got around to writing it, I was ready to write it. And it came out very easily. And as far as your process, um, does the process of writing a comic book differ from a novel? Well, they have a lot in common in that they both must adhere to uh the rules of fiction as I see them. And uh, I approach them both the same way, which is when I 
I approach any new project, I start making notes in a, in a notebook about uh, the character, the plot, uh, the story arc, what's at stake. Uh, and when I have enough of those notes, I write an outline. This I do on the computer. One thing about my outlines is they're designed to be entertaining. The outline is as much an advertisement for the novel as any copy a copywriter might come up with. And I would say to any aspiring writer uh, to outline your work and to make your outline entertaining to read. Very important. Uh, and once I have an outline, which can vary from one page to 12 pages, then I go ahead and start writing the project itself. Now, if it's a comic book, of course, I, I break it down. I, I don't write open-ended series these days. I always have a complete story that can be told in a handful of issues such as Q-Ball, which is the latest thing I have out. You may not have seen this because we kickstarted it, and only Kickstarters have it for now, but we've since been picked up by Antarctic, which we'll publish in the spring. It's a five-issue miniseries. It's an espionage martial arts thriller, and one reason I wrote it is uh, I've always tried to portray the martial arts realistically in comics, uh, and I don't see that done very often. I see a lot of posing, a lot of pictures drawn from photographs, but I don't see the flow of techniques from panel to panel. And it's our goal to show martial arts in a dynamic and realistic manner, which is something we do. You see the technique unfolding. It's still exciting. I mean, there's a lot going on. But instead of a panel of a guy waving his foot and three people flying off the panel with only their feet showing, we break the action down into panel after panels so that you can see it unfold. It's not tedious at all. It doesn't take up that much space space than your average fight, but it's choreographed. But of course, that's just the action, and a story consists of a great deal more than action. It consists of personality and stakes and dynamics, and cue ball has all those. I'm working with a phenomenal artist. His name is Barry McLean Jr., uh, and if you Google him and take a look at our cue ball art or his art, uh, you'll see a, a phenomenon happening before your eyes. Every time Barry sits down to draw, he's better than the time before. The first issue is a knockout, and every subsequent issue is better. And as far as martial arts, specifically to this story, um, what caused that, you know, in your mind to come up with that kind of an idea, that kind of subject matter? Do you do martial arts, or where, where did that come from? I do. I've been training all wow. my life. And, and I remember that when I first picked up Master of Kung Fu, I loved Paul Galassi's art, but I could tell at a glance that there was no Kung Fu in that comic, and there still isn't any. It's it's storytelling and posing, uh, and there's no realistic depiction of the martial arts, either physically or spiritual. Uh, and that's something that, that I've tried to do in my comics. Uh, first with the Badger, we did a Bruce Lee comic, Veiled My Eric and I, uh, and now with Cue Ball. And as far as the ideas that you come up with, obviously that one inspired by real life. As far as how you get all your other ideas, where's the inception of an idea start? How do you get your ideas in order to kind of whittle them down into the ideas that you end up choosing to write about? Well, inspiration is everywhere. I get a lot of ideas from the news, as many writers do, but I get them everywhere. Uh, if I hear an odd name, that will inspire me. I'll look at that name and say, well, this is an odd name. What would a person with this name do? Or I think of a title, a title that begs out for a story. Uh, I carried a title around with me for 30 years. It was called Trail of the Loathsome Swine, until I wrote it. Uh, and it's about a boy who avenges his sister's murder by a giant feral hog down in Georgia. 
uh, and it's been printed a couple of times. Uh, another example is Drunk Octopus Wants to Fight. And, and I saw this in a meme. And if you see the meme, you know what I'm talking about. But the title intrigued me. Drunk Octopus Wants to Fight. Uh, and I've been trying to think of a story to go with that title ever since. It has not come yet. Uh, but one thing I always do is I always carry a notepad with me everywhere and a pen. Uh, and I write down anything that seems odd to me, anything I want to remember. Uh, and I make those notes. And then I go through them later and see what they strike. But you got to work for inspiration. You can't sit back and wait for an idea to come. I work at it every day, just like a bricklayer lays one brick after another. You got to come up with one idea after another. You don't want to force it. You want them to be good ideas. But at this point, I know what a good idea is, and uh, I am always juggling five or six projects at once. For a drunk octopus wants to fight, just kind of diving into that early process. Let's say you did want to flesh that concept out. What would it look like if you were wanting to kind of get it to the next level, would you kind of sit down specifically and start thinking about that idea? Or are you more like working on multiple different projects and then on the back burner there thinking about that idea occasionally and slowly letting it rise to the surface? Well, one idea at a time. I've already given some thought of Drunk Octopus Wants to Fight. And I even tried writing it out a little bit, but it didn't happen. So I'm, I'm shelving that for a while. I had another idea, uh, it was called The Pigeon of Religion, and I'm working on that one too. But uh, I ended up retitling it uh, La Palomba del Cristo, which is The Pigeon of Christ in Spanish, which has some bearing on the story because the protagonist is not only a priest, he's a lucha libre fighter. Uh, and that story isn't finished, but it all comes from uh, wordplay in my mind, the pigeon of religion. That, that was the impetus. Now, of course, wordplay isn't the impetus for, for most of my stories. Most of my stories are, are based on a mood, a theme, an idea, or a character. If you love uh, detective fiction and you want to write detective fiction, you're going to think about detective fiction. Uh, and you say, well, who is your protagonist? Uh, and this is something I've thought about a lot because I'm right. And my protagonist is a reformed motorcycle hoodlum who went to prison and found Christ. And that hasn't been done before. But it was inspired by John D. McDonald's Travis McGee books, which are probably the main reason I'm writing today. And how do you prioritize the multiple projects that you're working on? You said you prefer to do kind of focus on one at a time, or are you working on one and then maybe kind of in the back burner a few others? Well, uh, if it pays, that's the number one project. I'm not in this business for my health, and most writers would love to make a living at it, and I've been lucky enough to make a living at it all my life. So if I'm contracted to produce a project, I want to please my client. But of course, uh, all writers write to please themselves first. And I recently have finished three contract projects that were brought to me. The concepts were presented to me, and some of the concepts were very well thought out. The way that any comic fan dreams up his own universe. Well, this guy's the king, and here's a list of his powers, and here's his sidekicks, and this is what it's about. And this is what these people brought to me. And once they brought that to me, I do what I always do, which is to work out a detailed outline of the first story arc. And when that's approved, then I go on to the script. But having finished those three projects recently, I'm now working on a Nexus novel because I always felt that I should. Uh, and I had a good idea for one, and I started to write it with a little trepidation because I'm not 
a science fiction writer, but it's taken off like a wildfire, and I'm very happy with what I have. And I will probably finish the uh, rough draft by the end of the year. You mentioned script. Are you using the full script or are you using the Marvel-style script? Always full script. Marvel style is a cop-out. <laughs> the artist needs a complete drama from which to work. He has to know what the characters are saying so that he can act appropriately. And by act, I mean draw the right picture. Now, uh, the Marvel style worked great for Stanley and Jack Kirby because they clicked with each other. But for me, it's a cop-out. If you're a writer, you have to write the thing. If you're writing a movie, you don't say... Well, the next six pages include banter between John and Martha. And it's up to the actors to come up with the banter. No, you don't do that. You have to write down everything in there. And of course, since one of the prime dictums is show, don't tell, you're writing a lot of stuff that doesn't involve dialogue, but you still have to write it out completely and tell the artist what to do. And a fight scene is a perfect example of that. Going back to titles real quick, I just realized that we never really talk about titles in the show, but titles are important. Do the writers of the comics always come up with the titles, or is that sometimes a conversation between the artists, or is the comic book company ever having their input in that? I don't know about others, but I always provide my own titles. As I say, it's the writer's job to write the scenario, and you do it completely. Uh, you don't say, well, you, you know, you got to finish this yourself. It's like a, an appliance guy I hired to replace my dishwasher one day. And he comes out, he says, well, I finished it all except for this tube here. <laughs> and you got to go to the, the hardware store and buy this tube and connect it yourself. This is uh, exactly what happened. So wow. I went to the hardware store and I bought the tube and I connected it myself. And the, and the dishwasher works, but I would have preferred that he do a complete job. Wow. Interesting. So that's a great analogy. And then you also mentioned as far as your outlines, keeping them entertaining. Is that for the purpose of when you send it to a potential publisher or comic book company? Who's Partially. Okay. Or is it for it, yourself? It's also for myself. Okay. Because I've read a lot of outlines and uh, an outline is an advertisement for the book. And if people want to know what's your book about, I'll send them the outline. If the outline's a long, boring laundry list about his powers, well, he can walk through walls and get turned invisible. That's not story. And I know what story is. And an outline is story. Uh, it's got to grab the reader by the throat. That's always my thing is to grab the reader by the throat and drag him into the narrative so that he, she, or it uh, no longer realizes that they are experiencing artifice, but enter into the story completely. And would you mind if we time travel a little bit back uh, to your start? How did you get started? Did you always want to write? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, my first job out of college was smoking marijuana for the government. I had moved <laughs> to Boston, and I, I wanted to write journalism. Uh, there were no immediate openings, but there was an ad in the Boston Phoenix for volunteers to live in a hospital ward in Mattapan uh, for one month uh, and smoke government marijuana every day and take a battery of tests. So I signed up for that, and I took my typewriter along, and I was always writing while I was there. And when I got out, I wrote up my experience and presented it to the Boston Phoenix and they ran it, and that's how I broke into journalism. And for seven years after that, I worked for newspapers in Boston. And then how did you transition from that to a lifetime career in uh, writing comic books and novels? Well, my goal was always fiction. But you don't come right out of the boards and write a best-selling novel. Uh, it's mostly hard work, and very few people can do that, especially when they're young. 
And there are always exceptions, like uh, Richard Price, who wrote The Warriors, and uh, Sophie's Choice, William Styron, who wrote his first novel when he was in his 20s, and my wife is saying The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, (laughs) which was written when she was in her 20s. Uh, And, of course, we hate these people for achieving success so easily. But uh, for most people, as John Broom, who wrote A Room at the Top, says in his book on writing, most people should not attempt to write a novel before they're 40 years old because they simply lack the experience and outlook to present a complex story, which is what a novel is. A novel is about many things. And when did you write your first novel? Well, I've been writing novels all my life, (laughs) but the first readable novel was probably Biker. And I wrote that five times before I was happy with it. That doesn't happen to me anymore because uh, I have a good sense of story and I know where I'm going. Uh, So when I set out to write a novel, the first draft is the basis of the finished product. I'm not back there. I I don't look back at it with horror as I did at most of my writing up until a couple of years ago. And does the outline process for a novel, do you make that just as fun as, say, a comic book? Absolutely. And are they similar in their length? Is the outline for a novel, I imagine, slightly longer than a comic book? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. It depends. And what is your favorite thing to work on? Are you uh, a dialogue guy? Are you a, uh, you know, backstory character? Oh, no, 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 no. You know, (laughs) it's it's all the same. You can't divide writing up. It's an organic process. It's like, well, what's your favorite part of the body? Is it, is it the skull or the veins? No, you know, it's all together and it all works together in concert. A novel is a complex thing. It's a, uh, a dynamic narrative with a beginning and a middle and an end uh, that consists of many elements, including characterization, the narrative voice, the historical setting. Uh, it's all part and parcel. And do you ever struggle with your writing? Do you ever have writer's block or moments where maybe you're not able to sit down and work on that outline? Yes, I do. And at that point, I step away from the keyboard and I retreat with my pen and my pad and I think about what happens next because that's the essential question in all fiction. What happens next? And uh, I think about who the characters are and what their history dictates and what their personality dictates and what I've already written that I can use to advance the story. And if it's not happening, I'll turn to another project and come back to it later. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience Podcast has been self-funded from the beginning. So whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash writer experience. You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com, and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. And you've written for, as I mentioned earlier, Marvel. What is it like working with a company at that level? Does that affect the writing process? I had pretty much carte blanche when I wrote Punisher for Marvel uh, for the first three years. And then a new editor came in and he wanted to incorporate more of the Marvel Universe into the comic. So up until that point, I'd been treating it as a straight crime comic. But then I had to uh, figure out ways to bring in the X-Men and some of the lesser uh, Marvel villains. But it wasn't really a problem. 
And I had carte blanche at, at DC when I wrote The Flash and Dead Man. Do you watch comic book movies? Are you into those or are you more focused just some on the books? Some of them. You know, okay. I, I do see them. Uh, <laughs> and some I like very much. Uh, some not so much. Do you feel as though they pay accurate uh, respect to the books? Well, in some respects, I feel that the comics do a better, I mean, that the, that the movies do a better job than the comics because it's pumped up to a much more expensive and higher level. Uh, when you're risking $50 million or $100 million on a movie, you go over every bit of that to make sure that it's solid. And in the case of some of those Marvel movies, I think they're very solid. Uh, my favorite is uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. That's my favorite uh, superhero movie. What about TV? TV has become incredibly serialized. It's all about binging multiple episodes as opposed to watching a film. Does that type of storytelling intrigue you? Would you ever want to write that kind of content? Well, I don't aim for TV specifically, but if some producer said, Mike, we want to adapt your so-and-so, we want you to write it, of course I would do that. And uh, I do watch episodic TV all the time. I don't watch any superhero shows on TV. Uh, I just don't find them credible. The series that appeal to me are dramas. I love good drama. Uh, Ray Donovan is one of my favorites. Uh, Better Call Saul, I think, is my favorite of all TV shows being produced right now. And there are a bunch of others that I watch. As far as your process, uh, getting back into it, specific to disco, was disco any different than any of your other works? Did you want to speak to kind of what your process was like for that, what we have to look forward to with that? Well, the process is the same, but the tone is different because it's an all-ages novel, which doesn't mean that it's completely sanitized, because uh, a lot of kids have grim experiences in high school, and there's, there's a, some grimness in the story, but it's minor, and it's in the service of the story and, and helping the character triumph, and also it's about dogs. As far as uh, before the episode, you mentioned that you didn't quite know what the specific release date was. What's the rough estimate date that anyone listening to this podcast can... As soon as they call, they decide on a cover, they'll schedule it and it'll be released. And, and, and we all know what the cover's going to be. It's going to be a photograph of a dog catching a frisbee. Are they you, just haven't found the right photo. And are you involved in the initial choosing of what that cover's going to be? No, and I should be. They should have just left the cover to me as they did with all the other books I do for them. But for some reason, they want to do the cover themselves. And if it's a good cover, that'll be fine. And there's no frantic rush to get it up. Because at this time of the year, uh, it's a very loud type of time of year. And, right. and it's, it's hard for any single product to attract attention unless it's a $200 million movie, which is being four-walled on TV, you know? What's your favorite time of year to write? Oh. <laughs> or is that winter, a, or is that a... winter because it's, it's, I'm not tempted to go outside. True, true. There are a lot of distractions. Um, what do you do for fun? What are the things that distract you that you want to go do when you're sitting down? Let's say it's a summer's day. What are the things that uh, tempt you? Well, I go to karate. It's a social thing as well as a physical thing. I, I love to ride my bicycle and my motorcycle, and I do that all summer long. I love to hear live music. We go out virtually every weekend, weather permitting, because there's a lot of live music in Fort Collins. Uh, and we see the local bands. You know, I'll see any band if it has the slightest pretense towards excitement or anything I like. As far as your experience as a writer, you know, we've heard about your process and your career, and you've given us a lot of great advice. Is there one thing that calls out to you? If you were going to 
tell aspiring writers one thing you've learned in all of your career that would help them, what would you say? Well, it's three things. Okay. And the first is your job is to entertain and keep that foremost when you're writing. The second thing is to show, don't tell, which sounds simple, but is really quite complex in execution. And the third is to be original. And that means don't repeat what other people say. Come up with your own language. Now, you know, they say there are no new ideas under the sun and that there are only seven basic plots, which may be, but we're all unique human beings with experiences. And if we draw on our own experiences and thoughts, uh, then we can make that work unique as well, unique in language, if nothing else. Amazing. What's next in the career as far as uh, after Disco? I imagine you have other projects that you've been working on. Uh, we just signed a new deal with Dark Horse, which will bring a whole bunch of previously unreleased Nexus uh, to the public starting late next year. Uh, I'm working with Cautionary Comics. I've written the first issues to two different titles. One is Offworlder, and the other is uh, The Wraith. And I just finished writing a comic about a dope-smoking fox for a friend of mine in Denver who's going to produce it himself. It's called Smokes the Fox, and uh, he's going to print it on hemp paper. And you obviously work on a lot of different projects. For those who aspire to write as many projects as you work on, what are your suggestions? How do you stay organized? How do you balance everything together? Well, I keep lists, of course. <laughs> but it's it, the virtue of working on many projects at once is uh, it's a good hedge against writer's block because while you're struggling to come up with something for story A, story B is percolating in the back of your brain saying, hey, hey, you know, A ain't going to give you nothing. Come back here and look at me. You know, I'll give you something. <laughs> so it's a good thing to work on more than one project at once, but it's not necessary. I mean, if you have a dream for one single great project and you stick with it, and you may hit the jackpot like Harry Potter. Uh, as far as I know, J.K. Rowling wasn't trying to peddle anything other than Harry Potter for years and years. Are you uh, ready for what we like to call a series of seemingly random questions? Sure. Amazing. I like that you're just right into it, 100%. Some people are hesitant. First one, is there an art to writing a Twitter bio? <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're limited to 126 characters. Is there any prose that goes on in those few characters? Well, you know, a couple of years ago, I was starting to write a Badger story in Twitter with those little limited series, but I gave up on it because it was sporadic and I didn't know where I was going. And because it was just for Twitter, I didn't feel like sitting down and writing an outline for it. So yeah, Twitter is not the best venue for fiction. And every now and then you'll see this on Facebook, tell the saddest story or the most horrifying story, blah, 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 in six words or less. And those always irritate me uh, because you can't build a house out of six bricks and you can't tell a story out of six words. All it is is a tease and it's asking the reader to make up the story in his mind and do the work that the writer isn't willing to work, uh, which doesn't mean you can't write a good short story, but you need <laughs> you need to fill a, at least a couple of pages to draw the reader into a world that's realistic so that he believes the story. And of course, uh, that's every writer's goal is to have the readers believe the story and, and not read a couple of sentences and say, this is ridiculous and toss it aside. All right. Next question. If you could hang with any writer, living or dead, and take them to a fast food restaurant. <laughs> which, uh, which writer which, which, and what fast exactly. food Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, it would probably be John D. McDonald. 
since he's the guy that inspired me to write. Uh, and I would take him to Five Guys Burgers Ooh. because they make a superior burger. Do they have a Five Guys out there? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay, good answer. The next question is, if you could hang with any one of your characters and take them to a fast food restaurant, <laughs> which one would it be? And no, it would be Badger, of course. <laughs> you know, and I'd take him to a Chuck E. Cheese so we could wait for a, a fight to break out so Badger could kick ass. <laughs> there it is. But we do not condone violence no, no, at uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Not. Absolutely not. Not the place. Take it outside. Right outside the Chuck E. Cheese. Did you know that Chuck E. Cheese is the most popular venue for public brawls? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, followed closely by Waffle House and McDonald's. Really? Uh-huh. Wow, that's crazy. Did not know that. Next question. Has anyone ever in your career told you that you couldn't or shouldn't be a writer? Uh, no, not really. Never? No. No haters? No skeptics? No. There. there it is. Concise answer. I like it. Next question. Tell us something about your career that nobody knows. Well, that thing about me, my first job out of college being smoking marijuana for the government, that's pretty fresh <laughs> news. Yeah, that is. That's pretty legit. That's pretty legit. <laughs> um, next question. What is the lifestyle of a writer like? Is it glamorous? <laughs> do, do you get lavish drinks? No. Lavish bars with other writers. No. no. Not at no, all? You know, I work at home. Uh, if I didn't go to karate every day, I'd probably have no social life. But I do have some friends that I see. Uh, and, and, you know, I go to cons occasionally. And, and you get a lot of love at cons, but I don't like traveling. It's, it's a big drag to me. Uh, and I did a lot of cons last year, a lot for me. It was like six. And uh, it was a Great being there, but it was hell going and coming back, and uh, I have no cons scheduled for the upcoming year. But I live in a in a typical middle-class neighborhood, uh, and my lawn is an eyesore. Uh, I have a couple of dogs, and, and uh, everything's falling apart, and everything is filthy, just like everybody else's house. Next question, what's the secret to having a successful con? You mentioned going to cons. How does a writer get to a con and really make the most of it? Do you mean it's successful for me or successful for the con? <laughs> for you. Well, for me, it's selling a lot of stuff, you know, especially if you're, you've got to fly somewhere. Uh, you can't bring your trade goods with you these days if you fly. It's just a monumental hassle. They charge you through the nose. I was uh, at a con in Pensacola a couple of months ago, and prior to that, I mailed a whole bunch of my material to Chuck Dixon, and Chuck brought it to the show for me. But I have friends who do uh, two dozen cons a year. One of them is Monty Michael Moore, whom you may know from his Lady Death covers. But Monty also produces sculptures and a lot of original art. And he drives everywhere. He spends days and days driving to these cons. He's got a huge truck. And when he gets there, he sets up a huge booth. It's a real it's like something you'd see at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. It's big, uh, and he has to have a crew to do it. But because he drives everywhere with a big truck, he brings hundreds of pounds of his product with him, and he does very well. Greg Horn is another guy that does that. Greg, I don't know if you've ever seen one of his booths at a con, but it's huge. And he's got like hundreds of different posters on display, and uh, he does good work selling those. 
Next question. Is there a secret to networking? I imagine you had to have done some networking during your earlier years. Is it that important to network? Well, you'd be cool with these people and try to establish a human relationship before you approach them about working with them. Uh, And networking is very important uh, because like in any business, it's not just what you know, it's who you know. There it is. Next question. We've just got a lot today. We've got a lot of bonus questions. Is the world right now too saturated? Is there just too much stuff? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. We got the internet, we've got a lot of people, a lot of voices, a lot of content. Is it too saturated or is it a good thing that there's this technology? Technology is a two-edged sword as everybody knows, especially anybody on Facebook because Facebook for some reason it brings out the worst in people. I've lost friends on Facebook. Everybody I know has lost friends on Facebook over stupid Facebook arguments, mostly about politics, where you're not looking at each other eye to eye. People say things on Facebook and Twitter that they would never dare say to your face. On the other hand, I've found work through Facebook. It's very important for networking. If I see somebody with whom I'd like to work, I friend them. I don't bug them about working. I try to build up a relationship first. And in that sense, it's very good. Is there too much stuff? I don't know. The world keeps getting more complex, certainly. And uh, this new technology has upended every field I'm working in. Newspapers are dying. There's hardly any newsprint left. It's inevitable. At the same time, these news organizations haven't really figured out how to monetize their online presence, and they keep playing around with stuff. And in the field of comics alone, I think that... uh, Video games have had an enormous negative impact on comics, and that's one of the reasons sales are down and young people don't read comics. And it's not because uh, video games cheat or anything, but the fact is that a really good video game, like Grand Theft Auto, or choose your whatever game you like, a really good video game gives you a lot more bang for your buck than a 4 or a $5 comic, especially from the big two. If you buy a Marvel or a DC comic these days and flip through it, Well, if it's a Marvel comic and you open it up, the first thing you see is a page of boring crows where the splash page used to be. Uh, And then there's something that Jim Shooter calls decompression, which is telling 24 pages of story stretched out for five issues. And that's why you flip through a comic and you see a full page picture here of a talking head and maybe two panels on the next page, maybe three panels if they're really feeling generous. Well, if you remember those old Marvel comics uh, from uh, Stanley up through Jim Shooter, they often had eight panels per page, and they were great comics. They were fun reading because there was stuff happening on every page, which doesn't mean they were all great. I mean, there was a lot of cliche dialogue. There was a lot of repetition, too. But I think that most of the big two comics, you know, I can't really speak to DC. I, I haven't read any DC comics in years, but I have read a few Marvels recently, and And I've been very disappointed on how little story they include. And what is story? It's a whole bunch of things. But it all comes down to this. Do you grab the reader by the throat? And can he not wait to learn what happens next? And I think in those two respects, most comics these days fail. Wow. Final question. And this one, I think, is going to be maybe the most challenging. Uh, So warning, heads up. Did you have fun during this interview? (laughs) yeah nice love it uh we did too well you know you're asking me to talk about myself more fun absolutely absolutely well thanks man did you want to just um a plug the book um yeah okay 
I can do that. Yeah. Okay, my friends, if you like uh, crime suspense thrillers, please check out my Bad Road Rising series. They're all available from Amazon. The first one is called Biker. The second is called Sons of Privilege. Third is Not Fade Away. Fourth is Sons of Bitches. And incidentally, Sons of Bitches is about a young woman who puts out her own Muhammad comic and has to hire Josh to protect her. The fifth is called Buffalo Hump. It's about how Josh is hired to protect a charismatic Sioux blues musician at the opening of a new casino in South Dakota. And the sixth is called Bloodline. And it's how Josh joins a paramilitary biker group that's running guns. Disco is a a heartfelt story for the whole family about a boy who raises mongrel pup to be world disc dog champion. I also have a horror novel out called Banshees, which is about a satanic rock band that comes back from the dead. And a novel called Scorpio, which is about a ghost who only appears under blazing sun. And both of those are outstanding novels. Uh, if you like horror, if you like to be scared, those will keep you up all night. You will not be able to put them down. I guarantee that about any of my books. There it is. Just as there is an art to writing a Twitter bio, there's also an art to the plug. And you uh, did a great job. For those listening, please check those out. And did you want to shout out your Twitter bio as well, oh, or, yeah, or, or whatever your social at, media at accounts? At Bloody Red Baron. At Bloody Red Baron. I also have a website. It's bloodyredbaron.net. Where does the bloody come from? Just, you know, as we wrap up, oh, is that because of the content? Uh, from when I was a kid in high school, and uh, we were reading Snoopy comics, and, you know, and they just my friends just started calling me the Bloody Red Baron because my name is Baron. There it is. Yeah, they're geniuses. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, thank you, man. It was really fun. I feel like we just touched the tip of the iceberg with everything. But thanks for providing tons of insights on, on your process and all those random questions we threw at you. And I'm glad you had fun. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you as well. All right, Mike. Thanks again. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.